Hello, everybody. Welcome to News from a Boring Dystopia. This is Antonio, and joining me is Bruno. What's up, guys? Hey, everybody. Before I begin, and before we talk about what's been happening behind the scenes, I want to do the number of the week. So today, the number is two, Bruno. <laughs> what is significant about two? Two. To Canada as a presidency in the United States. <laughs> that is true as well. When we're going okay. to we'll okay. be discussing the vice presidential debate and with Biden and Trump, because we have been gone for quite a while. But that's uh, not the number. That's not the number. So okay. what is the number? I'll give you another hint. This is not related to international politics. This is related to what's go been going on with our podcast. What is the significance of two? Only two persons recording today. <laughs> we are only two people today recording the podcast. Okay. <laughs> and so I, now we'll tie into what's been going on. So our apologies with this podcast. We've been yeah. taking a couple weeks. So we've been taking two weeks. I think it's the last time we were, since we recorded. Yeah, it looks like uh, forever for me. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I think people already forgot that the, our existence. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be definitely like my, even if Bruno like, even if Bruno leaves, my goal is just to like keep going, and I I will keep yeah, bringing no, people in, that's, uh, that's, even if I have to crawl and figure this out. So Andrew, unfortunately, is no long is not with us temporarily. He is uh, busy with grad school. He will be back. He's told us that he's coming back in, in an unforeseen time in the near future. He's just busy, probably with finals or with midterms or some sort of big exam that he's taking, which is perfectly fine. So bear with us. I am not the most tech savvy. Andrew was kind of our tech person. So I've just yeah, been trying to figure totally. everything out. So bear with us. It will be a little bit different. The recording quality might not be as high. We are now switch we're switching our way of recording slightly. So that's, that's what's been going on with us. So what's been going on in the world? We're not going to be talking as much about news. Bruno was talking to me, how he feels like it's more interesting to discuss uh, current events or big ideas that are, yeah. that are important with what's going on in the world. And that's definitely something I agree with. I think that if people are interested in finding out what's going on in the news, there's definitely BBC World. There's tons of great podcasts for that. But we're just here to talk about ideas. And wow.
But one thing that has been going on in the news that's kind of like more pop culture, I would say, is the VP debate with uh, oh, Kamala yeah. Harris and, and with, Mike uh, Pence. And Mike Pence. And, Mike Pence. and the fly in the hair of the <laughs> Mike Pence. <laughs> I think he didn't take a shower that day. I think he didn't take a shower that day because, I mean, that man was stinky. <laughs> that man stinky. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, that's probably... So there was an interesting, we haven't gone for quite a while. I don't remember what else has happened, but specifically with the VP debate. Oh, the presidential, the president's debate as well. Trump got COVID-19. Trump got COVID-19. There's, so there's a lot of things. So, I'm actually going to yeah. write that down. <laughs> but yeah, so first we'll just start with the most recent news, which is the VP debate. Uh, what were your initial impressions, Bruno? Yeah, I've read something on the subject and... What are people were saying that the debate between Kamala and Mike, because I know it's weird saying Kamala and Mike, because in Brazil, we don't have the thing of the Americans only call people from the last name. We usually call people from the first name as well. So yeah, Miss Harris and Mr. And Mr. Pence. Yeah, people said there was like a presidential debate, but decaffeinated. I mean... Mike Pence was interrupting Kamala Harris all the time. And Kamala Harris was trying to prove the government Trump wrong. So, I mean, I think, they, I, think I was putting a lot of a hope and expectation on this. I don't know why. Primarily because of the failure and the debacle of the first debate uh, between the presidents, the candidates of presidency. So, but it wasn't that good for me, actually. I think it was kind of, as a Brazilian says, a bucket of cold water on people. I mean, I was trying to express some, I don't know, a more rational thing. Not rational, but I mean, more like a, a real debate. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was definitely not the, you know, it's definitely a little bit negative with how Kamala and with how Pence definitely avoided some questions. Pence avoided the question about climate change, which is so horrifying to me, you know, even 2020, that people are still dodging questions about obvious scientific fact. But the other thing that was kind of, the thing that about Kamala and the thing about Biden, and hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly. It's Yeah, I always hear Kamala. If I'm saying, if I'm pronouncing people's names wrong, just let us know in the email. I think we're going to plug the email at the end. But the Kamala, I think it's Kamala, actually. So scratch okay. that, Kamala. I think that her, her dodging the question about packing the courts is actually kind of radical. People caricature Biden and Kamala as being very centrist and being yeah. very... The establishment, know, right? Yeah, establishment. But to pack the courts is pretty radical, to deny, I think that's definitely something to keep in mind. And, and then she does have, and a lot of the conservatives have been touting her as being very radical, but she does have the second most behind Bernie Sanders, the second most progressive voting record as a senator in the United States Senate. So mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, a lot of people on the far left definitely are very skeptical of her, but she does have some more out there positions, especially with packing the court. One thing that stood out to me about the election was obviously the fly, but also how <laughs> the uh, also how 
she really, it seemed like she was ready to be interrupted. I feel like Pence didn't interrupt her so hardcore as Trump did, but it was kind of interesting her saying, you know, I'm talking. That was kind no, of... No, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I think she was prepared because, I mean, she's a woman and she, I mean, to see everything that she's very aware of what happens to women in the politics and all this area. So she was also like mentally prepared. Yeah, I guess so. Because I mean, it's predictable to imagine this kind of things will happen. So she wouldn't be like, give any opportunity to a man come over her. So she, she's already with the, her guards high and she's correct doing so. Because I mean, she has to, how can I say, a woman in a, like politics world need to be more like a, unfortunately, but she has to be even more prepared than a man. Because I mean, the system always beneficiate man's just because he's a man. So she got it to be even tougher. So even more like uh, aggressive, not in a bad sense, but I mean, in the way that respect my place, please respect my time. I'm not here for any of your jokes. I'm not here to be interrupted at all. So, I mean, she's very correct to doing so. Because if she show a little bit of weaknesses, being a woman, she will be totally, I mean, delegitimized. That's correct, this word? This word is ex- She would be not the biggest in vocabulary either. Delegitimized. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Delegitimized. Yeah, Andrew yeah. is not here yeah, to... Uh... Yeah. Especially when the, you know, the Joe Biden's <laughs> can can complete a single phrase. I mean, he's also <laughs> so she got she she has to be this like a fluid and speechable person in the team. Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air to to have a, a coherent person talking as much as Biden yeah. did have a, <laughs> coherent. You know, some, yeah, so Biden Kamala definitely has more sharpness with her way of speaking. And yeah, th- but for me, actually, I prefer being Kamala the president and Biden vice. But I mean, we know how the world is and politics are. So that, that is it. But I prefer Kamala being the first and Biden being the vice. But I mean, vice, Biden will, wouldn't want to be a, a vice again. So yeah, yeah he's already old. He's already very old, right? I mean, he's 80, 81, something. It was said in the ABC debate, with the vice president debate, that Either of these candidates would make history as the first vice president to the oldest president in history. Because if Biden gets the presidency, he'll get it at 78 years old. And Trump would be 74 years old starting his second term. So very, very yeah. old. Yeah. And, to read in, and I was, I don't know why, where I... And this was a lot of concerns because of the health of the president. Because, I mean, Trump got COVID-19 these days and he was very ill. So, I mean, he said that was okay. That's fine. People doesn't be too, it doesn't need to be afraid of COVID. But, I mean, he has all the best doctors, the best medicines and the best old stuff. So, it's raised a lot of concerns about the, if the president will survive until the end of the terms. So it's a very new thing. I mean, it's a very new issue to know that, I mean, the possibility of the president not finish the, his terms because of health. 
Yeah, that would be quite interesting to have the presidency. It would have been totally full circle for Trump to go out exactly based on what he was saying isn't a big deal. So that would be kind of funny, but also, you know, obviously sad. So that would be, you know, so Trump got COVID and despite saying that it's not a big deal, he, he has been in the hospital now for several days. He, is, he has, it's shown that he has been making a recovery, but he was in pretty bad shape, like, we, like you were saying, and that he did spread it to quite a lot of people. <laughs> there was one fundraiser, yeah. actually. It's, it's actually uh, yeah. guaranteed, it's shown that he went to a Republican fundraiser knowing he had coronavirus at least once. So, but he still and, went. And yeah, and I've seen Twitter sometimes said like a real good font because cause I, I don't know uh, the name of the person that said that. That the White House got more people with COVID 19 than whole Australia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's outrageous for me because the whole White House almost got COVID 19 as a bigger number than Australia total cases. Wow, just not handling it particularly well. Yeah, and, and people in the beginning of the year, the people thought that Bolsonaro uh, transmitted COVID-19 to the President Trump because he was suspicious of being infected. And I think personally he was. But uh, a great concern is raised when he visited President Trump in the beginning of the year, because a great part of the Bolsonaro's committee to the United States presented some, how can I say, signs of COVID-19, and later they were confirmed to be infected. So, yeah. That's uh, unfortunate. And then, since we have been gone for about two weeks, I guess we can touch briefly on the the first presidential debate with Biden and, and Trump. It was quite the, quite the show, I think, that just kind of we're, we're a little bit old news at, the, at this moment. But, the, uh, yeah. but <laughs> Trump definitely didn't, Trump definitely interrupted quite a lot. It was quite a display of, for the United States on an international stage, I feel, you know, as an American, I'm quite a bit embarrassed. Thankfully, I'm, I'm, I haven't traveled anywhere because I'm banned from everywhere. But thankfully, I haven't traveled because so that, would, that would be kind of embarrassing. But yeah, the, the, the presidential debate with Trump interrupting, Trump not disavowing white nationalists. <laughs> yeah, brown boy, step back and stand by. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know that Proud Boys was a supremacist group. But I mean, if, even we don't know, we don't know, I mean, we theoretically don't know that he was ref- making reference to Proud Boys, the supremacist group. Oh, proud boys calling these people proud, which even this is problematic because how can you be proud or be racist? But that's fi- not that's not fine. But I mean, that, let's get along with it. And we say that step back and stand by. Stand by for what? I mean, stand why do you need stand by? Why? If I lose the election, you have to step forward and do something. Yeah, that, is that correct? I mean. That later, uh, that raised me a lot of concerns because, I mean, I've never seen in the United States a country that is no worldwide regarding its uh, democratic and, I mean, election process. So it's very weird because, it's because I mean, stand by, stand by for what? I mean, uh, lots of 
lots of appeals to violence, lots of appeals to, I mean, definitely to some degree, I could never see the Obama presidency or even the Biden presidency getting away with saying anything similar. So it's quite a strange time to be an American. Seeing as I'm the only one left right now, I have to, I'm kind of like, I kind of see myself as the more radical one. And then Andrew's, he's he's still good, but he's still, he's more on the, you know, he's more, he sees things more nationally. And then I have, I'm the more radical one. So I'm tapering myself down quite a little bit. I will now be the more, you know, more moderate one for the time being. But once, you know, then I will become back to my, I have some criticisms, but I'm holding those back because I don't want to. As the only American now, I have to, I feel like I have to represent more of a broader opinion as opposed to just my own. So really quickly, and going back to discussing Trump, discussing essentially his refusal to disavow white nationalists, refusal to disavow, and, and all the you know, BS that he's been doing, I would like to go into my discussion, which I have reasonably titled Responding to Populism. I see Trump not Biden, but I do see Trump as a, a, as a very populist president. And so the 2010s, actually, fittingly, because Trump was elected in 2016 as the first, you know, as president, is called the populist decade. Populism is often seen as the people versus the elite. Populists mm-hmm. differ in how you define the people, but these allegations can be based around com- commonalities like rate, class, race, or national identity. Populists typically blame the elite as the cause of Mm -hmm. the discontent in society who have sold out the interests of the people to other interest groups like corporations, foreign countries, or immigrants. So a lot of of bells are ringing with Trump. But also, you can also look at this from the perspective of Bernie Sanders to some degree as well, because he, instead of blaming China or blaming immigrants, the Bernie Sanders campaign to, to some degree doesn't like corporations, doesn't like the 1%, or at least kind of focuses the discontent of society on those groups. And this is where I think looking at the evidence has been kind of interesting. For The Atlantic, so this is a quote from The The Atlantic, one would be hard-pressed to find a region of the world that populism didn't touch in the 2010s. The decade brought us the election of Donald Trump in the United States and the Brexit vote in Britain. It witnessed the rise of the alternative for Germany, the first far-right party to enter the country's national parliament in decades, as well as the ascent of populist parties in countries such as Austria, Brazil, Italy, India, Indonesia, and Poland. By 2018, as many as 20 populist leaders held executive office around the world. So people blame populism on financial insecurity caused by globalization and automation. People like Trump, people like, people view this, a lot of more educated people even in the United States think it's because of financial anxiety or economic anxiety is the word from globalization and automation. But oftentimes, according to a Vox study I was reading, this cause is overstated. It is a factor, but it's not the main factor. And it's kind of interesting what the main factor really is. A quote, examination of the empirical evidence regarding an array of other European countries reveals a similar pattern. Shocks that increase the economic insecurity of voters affect the electoral outcome on the margin, yet the overall explanatory significance for the level of support for populists is modest, which means that it's not the biggest factor, like I was saying. And here is where the study I was looking at tells me exactly what I already knew, just as an American. By this account, 
structural changes such as an increased access to higher education, urbanization, and growing ethnic diversity have led to significant progressive cultural shifts. It's the cultural shifts. These changes and the perceived displacement of traditional social values have caused a sense of resentment among segments of the population in the West, particularly among white men, older people, conservatives, mm -hmm. and those with less formal qualification. So basically, to summarize this in a way that's kind of more palatable, people are jealous of immigrants and people with distinct identities having higher status than themselves, which is only yeah. going to get worse as yeah. China starts to take us all over. It seems like you, want, uh, you wanted to say something? No, yeah, because, I mean, Brazil, I think, is very similar, but not so similar as the United States, because I think the United States is more regarding to immigrants and people, and non-WESP people, like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. But I think Brazil is a poor country. Uh, this, I think these this things happened when the Labour Party came to power and started some affirmative policies in policies in Brazil, especially in universities, income transfer programs, and other types of, of, of social programs, which made these low classes rise up and start to frequent the same places, the same spaces, the same, do the same thing as the higher classes used to do in some level. So when these higher classes was starting to see that their space was starting to be invaded by poor people, when these higher classes starting to see these lower income people starting to greater, uh, have greater incomes and, I mean, making more part of these spaces and, and things they do, they feel betrayed and threatened and started to, to fight against this labor party and this opened the way for the populism that's now in Brazil, especially in the figure of Bolsonaro, which is totally anti-PT, anti which is the labor party here. So, yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's the same thing you said that regarding the immigrants in the United States here, it's about the poor people. Interesting. So I predict that this fear of people different than you or that you perceive as different than you is only going to start getting worse as China starts to basically take over a lot of the, the world. So, so practice some Mandarin. But in all seriousness, what can we do to, to combat populism? So I'm going to lay it out. If you don't like populism, here's what you can do politically. And then if you, and then I'll make the case for populism. So What can we do to combat populism if that's even the goal? Well, you can look at the results of the 2019 Slovakian presidential race. Susana Kupatova, a pro-European liberal of Slovakia, won her election despite populist backsliding through many protests throughout many parts of Europe. Her strategy was the following. After the murder of the journalist, mass street protests, boycotts, and strikes created a political tailwind behind her. So step one, if you don't like populism, civil resistance. If it's peaceful, you win the hearts of the normies, where basically they don't like, they don't like looters, basically. So don't loot. If you, if you actually want to have, if you want to defeat the populace, you shouldn't loot. Here are other strategies 
facing controversial, uh, that she used facing controversial competitor Stefan Harabin. And it was to ignore his racist comments about Muslims killing and taking all the women. She responded with emphasis on cultural values of unity in Slovakian Catholicism, treating your neighbor with respect, what would Jesus do? And she won. So step two, if you don't like populism, is to unite, not divide. And so what you, you know, as somebody who's uh, not from the United States, but is looking at the American election, one thing that's in common with this politician from Slovakia and from Joe Biden is a lot of these, a lot of these uh, policies are pretty similar. They pretty much run a Joe Biden presidency if you don't like populism. And then finally, populists, just like in the American Trump presidency, as we are all aware of, rely on misinformation to compel their arguments. Populists regularly indulge in alternative facts. Her strategy was just like Joe Biden in the first debate, to ignore the facts, analyze, and step three, debate the facts and ignore the lies. So fundamentally, if there is a populist that is using misinformation, you just want to ignore the, yeah, like, like I had just said. So do these things, and you might win against populists like Trump by double digits, which is what Biden is doing. And this is good, but, and this is where the other side, because I am no longer, because Andrew is not here, I am now the voice of different perspectives of, of America. America, of America. So fundamentally, is populism always wrong? I would say no. It, it depends on what kind of world you want to live in. Bruno said it earlier we, in the previous dis- recording, which I don't think we've uploaded yet, but with regards to human rights. Human rights is a myth. A populism stems from the evidence that I just cited from belief and culture. It is from myth. And in Trump's case, race, which is also a myth. Do you want to live in a culture where there is only the material world? I don't think so. We, we're not all engineers. Yeah. And this is why this conflict in the United States, and from my own analysis, is oftentimes referred to as the culture war. Because it's not a battle on either side of the facts. As much as this is to the right chagrin, they aren't owning the libs with logic. If you're a partisan, you are by definition illogical. Your beliefs come before the evidence. And as much as socialists want to believe they are completely logical, as we kneel to Black Lives Matter protesters antagonizing for, you know, atoning for original sin, as Nancy Pelosi dresses in a dashiki, both sides of us are making feeling-based arguments. And this is not a bad thing. A lot of people don't like it that people want to be all, like rational, rationalists all the time, but this is not a bad thing to make feeling-based arguments. The left and the righteous have different perspectives on what type of world they want to live in. The left wants to live in an egalitarian society that is more secular, and the right wants to live in a white supremacist society that is religious. And this is why I believe the United States, and this is my own analysis again, is better off splitting apart because of this, this discontent is largely cultural, and there are irreconcilable differences. If you look at the data, the discontent is not mainly from economics. Even though right now with the pandemic, it is definitely a big factor. And then, and then once Andrew comes back, I can stop both sides and everything like I was saying, and I can start blaming people again for all of my problems. <laughs> but now, yeah, yeah. If you have any comments on, on my spiel. No, yeah, I think that's very correct. You said that these biggest problems are cultural. I'm, I mean, I wouldn't say cultural, say, especially in Brazil, it would be like a more moral thing. 
because our president here, this is like, uh, I don't know, he always trying to, he won on the speech regarding to family, traditional values, anti-communism, and I mean, war against cultural Marxism and stuff. So, I mean, he's, he's putting like a existential threat saying that like uh, if we don't vote for him we be like uh we'll succumb to like a socialist party that will turn us into atheists and we start to eat little children and be communists and stuff so yeah <laughs> eating children yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's actually children. i was actually uh, i think that was chapter one of the communist manifesto you eat the yeah. children. You redistribute the their bodies and you eat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. So the president was using this moral and existential threats to put people in fear. And that book that I recommend you says that what's populism? That said the populists, they usually try to be the only representative. Representative. Representative of the people. So it's bad because, I mean, it's destroyed the pluralism. I mean, one person is not the only responsible to represent a whole country. So the problem is, if this man or woman win, everything against him will be against their own country and against their own people. So it's very problematic because you can, you don't create, you don't create a space for political debate since the always the the arguments for opposition will be considered and interpreted as an argument against the people's well-being so the populists are very ahead from the other candidates of uh, like a normal politics or establishment politics because of this because since they make a symbiosis to the people like people who voted for him and only these people are right because they voted for the right guy to represent the right values of the right people. The rest of the people who don't vote for him or people who don't, don't want him to be in power, him, I'm saying Donald Trump and Bolsonaro because they are like our respective presidents. So people will see these people, these voters, as a threat, as uh, enemies of this country. As I said, as I've seen a lot of videos here in Brazil, I mean, people who want to vote for the Labour Party or for the other, any other party in Brazil, except for this, the president's ones, which is non-existent today because our president is out, is out any of a political party. If you don't know this, Antonio, our president doesn't have an, uh, a political party right now here in Brazil. Did I know that? Interesting. Huh? I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And these people were called communists. They were calling enemies of the nation, enemy of the country, because they were voted for the the guy who represented Brazil, who wants to save it, Brazil. So this messianic discourse of being the redemptor, the redeemer of the nation was being so, so, I mean, harassed and destroyed by the, because I mean, there's a, always, always a, a discourse of like bring back something that was lost, like make America great again, or make a Brazil 
and save Brazil from the communism or socialism. If Brazil was like a perfect land before it all happened. And it's very, it's, as you said, it's based on a myth. It's based on a myth. And people believe in this myth. So this myth is made of reality for them. I mean, that's, that's my point of view on all these things that's going on here in the United States and, I mean, Hungary and other, like, uh, Russia as well, so. Speaking of myths like human rights and, and reality, there is some I innovation in, in the scientific world that is causing, that's basically attacking our fundamental conceptions of, of what it is to even be human with new developments in genetic engineering. Take it away, Bruno. Yeah. So this <laughs> this subject I was preparing to do on our last podcast was that wasn't updated yet, but it will be updated soon, I guess. <laughs> and I wasn't able to talk about it because I mean it was getting very long, and so I I decided to speak about it in another time, and this time has come. And meanwhile. The winners of the Chemistry Nobel Prize was like a French woman called Emmanuelle Charpentier and a North American woman called Jennifer A. Doudna. I think it's D-O-U-D-N-A. So DNA, oh, look, this, this is very, it's a very <laughs> ironic thing. They won the Nobel Prize of Chemistry this year because they were one of the responsibles in the development of the CRISPR-Cas9. So CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R slash C-A-S9 method to use it in a genome edition. So it's a very good thing because, I mean, it's created, is ways to people study the genoma, genetics, and try to make new changes in the genes which will help us to make um, I don't know better foods, better medicines, better stuff. But one problem is because this this cost of this kit like uh, CRISPR the CRISPR, I will call it CRISPR, is very cheap. I mean it's less than three hundred dollars probably or less than two hundred dollars so you can buy on Amazon. So it's very cheap to get in one of those and starting to do your own genetic things at your home, I mean, in their backyard. So what the great concerns about it, because, I mean, we live in a pandemic world right now. Coronavirus is wreaking havoc around the world. And people were suspicious in the, in the beginning. And even th there are even people who still believe the coronavirus was manipulated in laboratories in China and was created to create this pandemic and make China, I don't know, rise economically and social, politically among a world that's totally destroyed by this virus. But I mean, it was proved that it was not because I mean, the COVID-19, I mean, not COVID-19 is the disease. The, the virus, I mean, COVID-SARS-2 probably is the name. Yeah, I think there's like a, a long, a longer name. So the coronavirus is yeah, it didn't doesn't like present some old already existed virus base or something. So you cannot say that it's like a producing laboratory. So, but I mean, it doesn't mean that some people can not 
produce some lethal virus that can create another world pandemics. And the problem is because terrorists can use it in the mean in a room smaller than mine and create a new potential virus that can create a new pandemic and destroy economies, nations, and entire populations. So the CRISPR method is very good, but at the same time, it's very dangerous because, I mean, you have the genoma edition became democratic. It's kind of, I mean, it's very ambiguous to say that it's good or bad because it's good because, I mean, you can facilitate the access to it to a lot of students and professionals and other people that study these things. But at the same time, what will be the limit, the access of it? I mean, you, you can buy it on Amazon. So if you have a, like a malicious thing or be funding by something like a terrorist organization or something more like evil, I don't know how to say it. I mean, you can create a lot of big mess. So the world has to be like a prepared or even more prepared to face any kind of biological attack like the anthrax that was sent to the White House in the 90s, I guess. And I don't know other types of, uh, of virus that was like a formulated, and, but not, I mean, not use it to create any damage. So we have to pay attention to where this going. I mean, I'm very happy for these two scientists two women who won the Nobel Prize, but at the same time, their inventions as the nuclear energy or like the, I don't know, any other inventions like so extraordinary, so avant-garde, they, like, uh, they're so powerful, they can create, I mean, a lot of unexpected consequences that we're not wishing to, to exist. Like the internet, we can deny the internet is very special for us today, very important and save lives and still saving and will save in the future. But at the same time, we have to be very conscious of the risks that and damage the internet has created to us. I mean, like a child pornography that was being widespread in the internet, or like a malware that like a rob banks and stuff or like a, any cyber attacks like Russians influencing the American elections. So, I mean, I don't want to put an, uh, I don't want to say that CRISPR-Cas9 is a bad thing. I think it's not. I think it's the science it will be more beneficiated with this type of invention. Uh, but, I mean, we have to be prepared for what's going on and what will things that could happen in the near future. I think it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. So, I mean, we have seen the all the, I mean, especially in TV shows and movies, when you see the genetic and genoma editions could make like dinosaurs in Jurassic Park or in books like The Brave New World and people can create like certain types of human beings to certain types of actions, like creating levels of people. I mean, the alphas, the betas, the gammas. So, I mean, the genetic edition, genetic science has been breeding new ideas and, and, new, and new visions of the world in the hearts and minds of people. But I mean, we have to pay attention 
to the people who has bad ones, I mean, the killer ones, people who want to create a new pandemic, the new COVID-20, probably. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my take. I mean, I'm... And I'm very worried. I'm kind of the same time fascinated with this because, I mean, I never knew that one day, like, genoma, genetic edition would be, like, so democratic. Like, you can buy an Amazon kit. You can buy, like, uh, vitamins and other cells. I mean, there is even a, how can I say it, a company in China, probably China or United States, their sells, like, these I've, I've read on a foreign policy article. That's, there is a company that sells like a embryonary cells from like aborted babies or something, I don't know where, from China, from the United States. Because and, these, these are communists who eat babies. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, they sell online. So these things, dystopia is already here. So like a, our boring dystopia is boring for us because... <laughs> I mean, the one who's recording this podcast because we're not leaving the... Thanks, God, because we're not leaving the manga, this, all the mass and, I mean, all these dynamics that are happening. But dystopia is already here. So I guess uh, with regards to the eating babies, I guess uh, Bolsonaro was correct about that one, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, when I look at... When, when I've uh, been talking about CRISPR, I've always looked at it from the perspective of gene editing the babies but that's interesting you looked at it from the perspective of changing the viruses to fit a sort of i guess a political agenda or to, to fit some sort of like imperialistic agenda that's that's definitely a scary time that uh no, yeah it's very scary i mean i think for example that there is a, like a book that i finished last week or this week called boys from brazil from ira levin the same writer of the rosemary baby and he says, talks about the story of Joseph Mengele that came from Brazil, came to Brazil after the Third Reich in Germany, the Second World War II. And Joseph Mengele in real life, he was trying to make babies like a, more, like a twins, trying to produce genetically transformed or genetically edited babies to be born as a Iranian class of people. And to create like a, a whole population of only people that will look the same or be the, the strongest of the stronger, the strong of the strongest. So, I mean, I don't think we are that far from that. I mean, I don't know if it's already happening, but I mean, we don't know all the things that happens because we don't know they don't happen. I mean, they can happen all the time. I mean, totally classified in some place in the world, isolated, and ethics and the moral questions and matters that comes with it. It's, it's very, I mean, you can create, like, imagine a person or, an, I don't know, a dictator that used the genetic engineering to create an army of super developed people, like a strong, the strongest soldiers in the world, like genetically edited. So it's very crazy thought. So great, it's a very crazy. I mean, thing to imagine that it's possible. Or like some super super intelligent hackers that are like yeah. 
So that's definitely an interesting thought. So I guess that's the end of your discussion, you're thinking. So I will, before we go, I want to reach out potentially to the audience. We are just two of us right now, and we're looking for more contributors. So if you're listening to this podcast with, what was our email? Do you remember our email? No, I don't remember <laughs> our email. <laughs> okay. Yeah, guess, okay. You, you, oh, you, you, I know you our Instagram. I have our, I have our Instagram. Boring D. Yeah, okay. If you are uh, interested in becoming a contributor to uh, News from a Boring Dystopia, follow us on Instagram at, at, boring, at Boring D. Let me just double check if that's correct. From Boring D... Yeah, from Boring D. So that's F-R-O-M-B-O-R-I-N-G-D. Just the letter D, all lowercase. Follow us on Instagram and send us a DM, you know, with some information about you, maybe a resume or your LinkedIn. We're really looking for people that are, that have some specialty or have uh, some knowledge of uh, from, you know, wherever you're from, but have some specialty in maybe Europe, Asia, and in Africa. If, you know, if you're interested in just being a part-time contributor that would be great you know we're always looking to have some guests on but it, yeah. we're really looking for another potentially full-time person that has expertise and, and basically outside of the americas if you have some knowledge outside of the americas we are looking to have you on and have that perspective on the podcast but yeah thanks thanks so much for uh, thanks so much bruno for meeting with me and i will be ending the recording in three two one thanks so much everybody 